Hello everyone and welcome to JTalk Extra Time. I'm James Taylor. There were 53,264 at the National Stadium for the playoff final between Tokyo Verdi and Shimizu S-Pulse and one of them was my co-host John Steele. John, have you recovered yet from the late drama? Uh, hi James, yeah, just about. It was pretty uh, pretty exciting stuff and I, I was uh, there sort of in a neutral capacity. So yeah, I've just recovered. Uh, I imagine, uh, you know, Lewis and, and others perhaps still still feeling a bit sore uh, after after what happened in the 96 minute. But yeah, it was a fantastic day out and uh, yeah, I'm sure we're going to we're going to get into it in a moment. Yeah, well, let's get let's get let's get into it right now. Uh we finished one all. Uh a tale of two penalties, I guess you could say. Thiago Santana scored one in the 63rd minute for Shimizu after a soft handball by, by Koki Morita. It just kind of bumped into the ball. It wasn't trying to prevent a goal-scoring opportunity or anything like that, but the ball hit his arm, so penalty. But then, in the sixth minute of stoppage time, Itsuki Someno was fouled by Yuji Takahashi, took his leg out before he took the ball. Penalty was given. A few-minute delay while uh, the... Shimizu players uh, remonstrated with the referee and Someno scored. Then it finished after a few more minutes of stoppage time. So 1-1 one, one, one was the final score, which means Verdi promoted to J1 after, what was it, 15 years in J2? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, 15, 15 years, yeah. Yeah. So congratulations to Verdi, commiserations to Shimizu. Um John, what 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 was your your impression of of, of the game overall, the atmosphere, and 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 everything being actually there? Yeah, I think. Um, well, yeah, we'll we talk about the penalties in a moment because they're obviously the big incidents from the game, the game itself on the pitch. But I think something we talked about a little bit in the preview last week, James, was how I was wondering whether it was such a good idea to shift the game to Kokoritsu Kyogijo, you know, rather than Ajinomoto. Obviously that decision was made with um, you know, capacity in mind and, and more more fans being able to get in get into the stadium and see the game. I have to say, arriving at a Sendagaya station as I did about 90 minutes before the kickoff, because I had to work in the morning. And by, by Japanese standards, that's pretty late, you know, in, in Tokyo, getting to the stadium only like less than less than two hours before the kickoff is, is a bit slow. But um, yeah, the, you know, the, the, it was pretty obvious that it was going to be absolutely packed. There were just throngs of people, um, you know, coming out of the ticket gate and kind of just, just wandering the streets uh, in and around the stadium. And once I got in, to the stadium uh within about three seconds i realized that it was absolutely the right decision to to hold the game um at kokuritsu kojo i think i just hadn't realized that verdi had really made it a home game and that meant they'd only given shimizu supporters tickets like literally behind the goal mm. and then sort of a, a few seats in the corners i'm not sure if that came across on tv um very clearly but basically yeah 70 percent of the seats in the stadium were, were, were home seats um, as is Verdi's kind of right as the the, the home team in inverted commas. I know there, there was some grumbling from Shimizu fans because you know they they could have sold more tickets had they been available. But but Verdi was the home team and they made it. They made sure it felt like a home game. And I think that um, that really helped the players d- during the game, especially when things went a bit wrong and they went they went a goal down sort of. Um, in the 63rd minute, as you mentioned, I should shout out as well. Uh, thanks to uh, to to Lewis uh, and his lovely wife and uh, Hannah, the rest of the the sort of supporters that I watched the game with, because they saved a seat for me uh, mm. in a pretty good vantage position in the the second tier. And uh, yeah, w- watching the football with, with with passionate people 
is, uh, is is the way to do it. So I had a really good time watching the game uh, with them. It took me about five minutes to become a, a Verdi supporter because I was behind the goal <laughs> with the Verdi fans, and it wasn't really uh, wasn't really an option not to. But um, yeah, I think anybody in a stadium would agree, even if you're of a, a Shimizu persuasion and it didn't go your way in the end, it was a fantastic. Um, occasion you mentioned the attendance 53,000 not bad at all I mean for a long time it looked as though Tokyo Vida would never ever have a crowd like that again I've been to watch home games where they've had 3,000 people 2,700 people in the stadium so pretty impressive stuff and I think it was just another kind of reminder if you like that the the, the J2 playoffs are probably going to be a permanent fixture because they are they they get they get bums on seats and that it's it sells tickets it's box office and uh, that, that's what, what sort of uh, professional sport is all about. So I don't think we're ever going to have just the top three automatically getting promoted. I think we're, we're probably going to have playoffs um, as long as they're packing 53,000 people plus mm-hmm. into a stadium. Um, on the game itself, let's let's talk about this um, th- this penalty that, that, that was awarded for Shimizu. I think it's a weird one where th- that happened, you know, I was really as close as you can be to an incident at Kokoritsu Kyogijo with the, the the running tracks. It was it was behind the goal. Koki mm. Morita's handball was at our end of the ground, if you like, and the ball definitely hit his arm. You know, he controlled it with his hand, and I think we're in this weird sort of halfway house where, based on the rules as they are now, it was a penalty. Mm. But I think for any football supporter, like you said, it feels like it shouldn't be. Yeah, the rules because should- he. <laughs> yeah, he didn't. He didn't really do it on purpose, right? He mm. controlled the ball with his hand accidentally, and he didn't stop Shimizu from scoring a goal. I'm not sure if he even stopped them from having a chance uh, of scoring a goal. So, m- my policy on this, I think, I've reached the conclusion that in this situation, it will be better to just have an indirect free kick inside the box, um, because I think it's it's probably right that someone handling the ball is penalised. Mm even if it's accidental, but I don't think it's right that it's penalised with like the harshest sanction possible uh, in terms of a penalty. Like, imagine if, if if that happened with an outfield player and it was like, you know, um, okay, your first foul of the game on the halfway line, you just trip someone accidentally, that has to be a red card because you fouled someone. P- people wouldn't accept that because it would be too harsh. Uh, and I think we, we I'm at that point with the penalties where it's just a lot of them are just... Uh, you know they're correct by the letter of the law, but they're not correct by the spirit of the the game. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, it's you know it, the the penalty w- was given that this playoff game we should mention had a VAR um, mm. to, to 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 help in inverted commas help us out, <laughs> and after an interminable delay, uh, as usual in in the J League, the, pe- the penalty decision was upheld. In it, yeah, Thiago Santana, who didn't have a great game, I think it's fair to say, like quite a few Shimizu players. Uh, on the day scored and it seemed like that was going to be enough I, I should say at this point um Verdi were very frustratingly kind of lethargic about trying to get back into this match mm. uh, even though it did feel as though it, it, purely in situational terms the game hadn't gone away from them yet you know mm. obviously a draw was enough for them so they just needed a goal out of nowhere it didn't seem like they were going to get it and they didn't really seem to be in any danger of, of having any chances. They just kept passing the ball around quite slowly, quite methodically. It's kind of like the Verdi style that we've been used to this season, which is like passing teams to death sort of on the edge of the box, but they're not being able to do anything more dangerous than that. Um, so, yeah, it seemed like it was going to uh, go wrong and, and Shimizu were going to be celebrating promotion. But then 
uh, as you alluded to in the 96 minutes yes there was a, a kind of ball hooked over the top by Hikaru Nakahara of course he would be involved mm. kind of like the the kind of key, key man over the last couple of months of the season uh, that sent Itsuki Somino racing clear and then we had this coming together with Yuji Takahashi, the Shimizu centre-back. He went to ground, uh, slid in kind of just uh, kind of at the corner of the penalty area inside the box. Um, I've written in my notes here, James, so let's see if we agree. I think he got the ball, but he touched Somino's foot first. So again, I think if you're talking about letter of the law penalty, uh, it probably is a penalty. But I also feel um, in my sort of 1990s version of football, the referee probably would have just said, you know, not for me and not given it. So mm-hmm. I think, I think in, in John's world, neither of these penalties should have been given despite them both being correct, if you like. So yeah. it, sh- it should have finished nil-nil and Verdi should still have won. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I'm off topic. But anyway, the, I think as well, from the defender's point of view, if you're Takahashi, I, I used to play as a defender, uh, not quite at the same level, we, we should add. But um, the basic principle is if, if you're sliding in into the penalty area, if you're sliding in on someone in the penalty area, you have to be perfect. Otherwise, mm. there's a chance you're going to give a penalty away. I think when he lunged in, he wasn't sure he was going to be perfect. So I think it was a mistake to... Basically, once you're off your feet in the box, you're, you're asking for trouble, aren't you? And uh, I think that that's that's the way it proved. On the penalty itself, Tako Okubo uh, in goal again, you know, deputising for Shuichi Yonji. He got hands to the ball uh, from mm. someone who's penalty. He was really unlucky not to keep it out, actually. Um, but he didn't, uh, he, you know, he wasn't able to keep it out. The ball ended up in the back of the net from Somino. And uh, yeah, that was enough um, to kind of knock the wind out of uh, Shimizu and, and Verdi could celebrate uh, a pretty incredible um, Cinderella story uh, of promotion back to J1. Uh, Okubo's reward for that effort was to be released <laughs> by Shimizu, uh, I think, uh, yesterday, or, or it was announced this week, his contract's not being renewed. So, uh, yeah, thanks uh, thanks for nothing might be his his uh, his closing comment on that. But, uh, yeah, I think the um, this wasn't a classic football match, I don't think, quality-wise. But it was a, it certainly was a classic occasion, and that last sort of um, five or ten minutes was uh, was chaotic, and uh, Verdi supporters would have experienced pretty much every emotion uh, going, I think. Um, and uh, yeah, it just all uh, it all, all added up to a fantastic uh, fantastic afternoon's entertainment, uh, I, I think. Yeah, I don't know how how it felt for you watching watching on TV, maybe. Yeah. Um... It wasn't a particularly exciting game. I agree. Uh, it was a it was a great occasion and um, an exciting finish. But for the most part, yeah, compared to the semi-finals when all all four teams kind of really went for it straight from the off and um, really um, kind of threw the kitchen sink at each other. This one was seemed very slow. Yeah, people off the pace. Um, I think for the I agree. I agree with the, you know the soft handball. Um, you, you're, you, what you said about that for for Shimizu's penalty, but for Verdi's penalty, I think yeah, Takahashi got the ball, but after he'd gone through Somino's leg, because mm, mm. he was he was sliding in from diagonally behind, mm. so he he knocked Somino's shin. So Somino was was going down, and as as Takahashi took the ball, so for me that was a that was a clear. Penalty, maybe for you know your 1990s rules. No, but <laughs> you don't live in John's world. Play on. Yeah. 
it's <laughs> um and yeah after that it was it was you know pretty exciting shimizu trying to get forwards and verdi just hoofing it clear and re- repeat 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 that was quite uh quite an uh dr- you know dramatic exciting uh, finish i think um if we talk a bit more generally about about shimizu um very disappointing i think in this game um you you said Thiago Santana was was not very good i also i was surprised at how poor Carlinhos Jr was they took him off after an hour he's mm. um i think he was their top scorer or he he scored a lot this year anyway um but he he barely had any impact on this game um fellow brazilian ronaldo uh, i thought refereed the game pretty well he was very vocal as a referee um not sure that he should have been trying to referee the game maybe he should shut up and play football instead but he's he yeah also disappointing there there no one no one was was there like Inui as well wasn't able to um to have the impact that he has had throughout the season and the thing with Shimizu is that their their front five are pretty capable they all just pop up all over the place they're kind of fluid position wise which has worked well for them for the most part this year, but right at the end of the season when it mattered, they they mm. they couldn't do it. Right? They drew this one, which meant that they didn't get promoted. Uh, they drew the previous game, which meant they just squeaked through to the final. They drew the final game of the season, which meant they didn't get automatically promoted. And before that, they lost, um, surprisingly, to struggling Kumamoto. So this last, last month or so for them has, has been a real... Um, a real letdown, and for all their exciting attacking football and high-scoring games and famous players and stuff, they're still in J2 next year. Mm. So, uh, for me, this is a disappointing end to what what in the end what is is going to be go is going to go down in history as a disappointing year. And I was also I, I, when that penalty was given, they cut to Inui on the bench who having a tantrum, which I thought was quite funny. Mm, the water bottle, the water bottle. Well, he's went, his boots it? as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if it was, you know, he was annoyed at a penalty being given or annoyed at his teammate for conceding a penalty. I think he was just annoyed generally, which is understandable, but I still thought it was funny. Mm. And um, mm. Mm. I think I'd like, I, 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 I think we should talk about Koki Morita, the Verdi captain. Mm. He's been with the club for a about 15 years, I think they said, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, all through the youth, through the academy and stuff. And uh, basically, he's been at Verdi the entire time they've been out of J1. And finally, he's the captain, the Verdi boy. He's got them up to J1. And I bet he thought he'd fluffed it, conceding that penalty. So quite a... A bit of a redemption arc for him. It reminded me a bit of the the Empress Cup final last year with uh, Mr. Kofu mm. bench and conceding that penalty, but then I'm going on to win. Um, and Morita was very emotional after the game. Obviously, um, what 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 what, did, what do you think of of him? Not just in this game, but generally. Uh, yeah, well, I think I really can only sort of, um, Lewis, with apologies, I'm just going to kind of paraphrase what what Lewis and I were talking about at the game. Um, on Saturday, because he, he he put it a lot better than I, I could, I think. But basically, I think Morita became captain, sort of was handed the armband midway through the season. 
and it wasn't a universally popular choice, I don't think, with the, the Verdi supporters because he has or had, he's probably lost, doesn't have it anymore, but the reputation for kind of playing it very safe when he was in possession. Mm. You know, Verdi have that style of just like keeping the ball as much as possible. So he would often pass it sideways or backwards, um, you know, just keep, keep the ball, keep the ball going up. And I think the, the, the point that Lewis made was, you know, that the captaincy seemed to weigh very heavily on him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's quite a softly spoken guy. Yeah. He, he's quite shy. And to be honest, I might be projecting here, but he reminds me a lot of Shion Inoue uh, at your commissary. Of course, there's another player that came through the Tokyo Verde youth team mm-hmm. and is actually a very similar kind of player, quite diminutive and slight sort mm-hmm. of quarterback position type midfielder. And again, is a player who has all the ability in the world and at times will just glide past people for fun, like they're a traffic cone. Uh, but having done that and, and sort of broken the press of another team, will then just casually just dribble backwards with it and pass it back to a centre-back as if that was enough and, and the job's done. So I think Morita used to get that kind of criticism at, at, at Verdi as well. But he really, um, I think over the last uh, sort of three or four months of the season, really stepped it up along with the rest of the team. Um, I don't know how much it helped having Hikaru Nakahara come in because I think he he lifted everybody, mm-hmm. uh, Morita included. But yeah, I think you've really seen the making of Corky Morita in the in the last few months, and I think he he's been instrumental to to what to what they've been doing. I think he'd be in quite a few sort of J two teams of the season, um, yeah. not not to preempt anything. But um, I, I think at the start of the season, I would have found that difficult to believe. And I think there's quite a few Verdi supporters who might have felt the same. So um, I I think he. Um, yeah, the success that Verdi had have had this season is, is is also his success because you know he's the captain, so that that carries a lot of weight. I think um, not always positive. It, I think it was hard for him at first when he came in because he's not a sort of um, he's not exactly Roy Keane. Do you know what I mean in terms of sort of bollocking people mm. um, and and begging people up? He 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 does things in a different way. Um, but yeah, it was really nice to see. Um, you know, m- modern football is often uh, shit, James, isn't it? Outside of the J League, you know, so it's big, big money, uh, big money nonsense. But yeah, at the end of the game, he was genuinely, Koki Morita was genuinely like beside himself. And um, yeah, I'm not sure about the merits of like sticking a microphone in the face of someone who's just experienced every possible human emotion in the space of about half an hour. You know, yeah. basically he was just in tears at the final yeah. whistle and they, they kept trying to prompt him with questions and he couldn't really... Um, produce any any meaningful uh, content as we call it um, but uh, yeah really 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 nice story seems like a nice uh, nice guy I think I'm, I'm old enough because he seems like a nice kid um, yeah. and I think he's sort of emblematic of the sort of modern Tokyo Verdi which is for, for various reasons financial and otherwise they often have to bring through players from the youth team um, and they're very, very good at doing that. And there was loads of players in that team on, on Saturday who've come through the youth system, especially in defence, um, y- you know, for example. So, uh, and and up front, in fact, all through the team, let's be honest. So, um, yeah, I, I think he, he was emblematic of that. And, um, yeah, he, 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 I don't think he ever really went away at Verdi, so we can't call it a comeback, but it definitely felt like a sort of coming out uh, party or coming of age um, mm-hmm. moment for him, for sure. Yeah. Um, and uh, that brings me on to my next my next point actually about um, you mentioned you know using players in the academy and not being able to splash the cash. Um, what an amazing job Hiroshi Jofuku has done, manager. Mm. Um, he, as Lewis said, turns out he always knew what he was doing, even if at times he was questioned by uh, by some of the supporters. 
he trusted the youth, he inspired them by showing confidence in them. Um, some astute recruitment mid-season. Um, he's done it. Yeah, I was hoping we weren't going to get onto this because it's a bit embarrassing. Cause I think I pre-season was pretty negative, pretty scathing about Tokyo Verdi's chances. I didn't think there were many goals in the team mm. uh, and I didn't think they had much chance of doing anything. I've never been a huge um, Jofuku fan. Mm. Uh, always found him to be pragmatic to the point of um, tedium, really, if you're a neutral. Mm. Um, watching but that, I, I don't know whether it's something in the in the DNA at, at Verdi that's, that's changed that or he uh, he's just chilled out a little bit as he's got older. I don't know. But um, yeah, he um, something that we've talked about more than once on the pod this season is that he's just really done a great job of coaching those players. Yeah. So like a, a lot of players, you're right that good players have come in, but he's also improved a lot of players that were there already. Um, so I kind of thought when they had Takafumi Hori in charge, I was like, maybe this is as good a manager as you can realistically get for mm-hmm. Verdi. Uh, but I've, I've been made to look very silly because they dispensed with him. They brought in Jofuku and and he has uh, sort of piloted them to uh, to J1. And I, I think when you look at the the squad that he's done that with, it's a hugely impressive achievement. Um, and again, like Morita, um, perhaps if you do a fewer tears from, from Jofuku, probably at the final whistle, but just as much kind of positive um, energy. And um, yeah, I think his t- touchline antics at time has been a bit much for me. Um, we seem to lose his temper a bit too often um, mm. for no apparent reason. But I think, yeah, you can't really argue that. Of the three promoted teams, I think, you know, Verdi are the ones. I mean, he he's had to do the most heavy lifting with that team, I think. Mm. Um, you know, Iwata had plenty of good players in the squad with J1 experience already. Machida had a lot of money to spend. Um, but for Verdi to end up uh, going up, you know, getting promoted with those two, it's just a fantastic, uh, fantastic job. And, uh, you know, you're in sort of manager of the season territory, I think. Yeah. Well, it's interesting when, because with, with Hori as manager, it was always a case of either going to win 4-0 or lose 4-0. And then Jofku took over and it was very much a case of uh, he sorted the defence out. But it seemed like it was at the expense of the attack the second half of last year. Um, kind of, um, they seem to struggle, and and even at times this year they seem to struggle up up front, um, getting goals. Verdi, but they, their defence was amazing, and with Matthias in goal as well, he was excellent. Mm. Um, yeah, Jofka's turned out to be a really good, really good appointment. And um, what I like about whenever they win, he does like this um, double fist pump. And mm. sort of his head back, and there's someone on Twitter who photoshops maracas and a sombrero. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, it's one of my favourite things about um, oh, Jake. I, I, I always think he looks a bit like a turtle. Ah, <laughs> uh, well. Anyway, so third place Verdi, they got promoted. So first, second, and third got promoted. You can't argue with that, really, can you? You could can't say. argue. No. So, big flags going to be flying in J1 next year. We'll be hearing about Verdi on Big Pod, mm. Shimizu. Uh, they're going to have to make do with us talking about them again next year. Mm. All right. Congratulations, Tokyo Verdi. That's, uh, that's, that's the end of the J2 season, but it's not the end of the football for all the J2 teams because Banfari Kofu are still in the Asian Champions League. 
that's because the group stage hasn't actually finished yet. The uh, final game's coming up on Tuesday the 12th. They've got to go away to Buriram United. Last week, they drew 3 all at home to Melbourne City. Um, they came from a goal down and went 2-1 up and then went 3-2 down. And then uh, Juma Miyazaki headed in a Cristiano cross in the 85th minute to earn a point. Uh, so Kofu are top of Group H. On goals scored, I think, because they have eight points and Melbourne have eight points, they both have a goal difference of two, but Kofu have scored eight to Melbourne seven. Um, meanwhile, Buram and Jujang are both on six points. They played out an extremely entertaining game in China, um, finished 3-2 to Zhejiang. Dirty, dirty, dirty. That's the dirtiest game I've seen in years. It was brilliant. And I'm not surprised it ended up in the mass brawl that I'm sure many people will have seen on Twitter. If you haven't seen it, check it out because it's quite entertaining. Um, and it's extremely entertaining, James. <laughs> you're, un- you're underselling it here. Well, things almost kicked off. I watched this game for about the half hour mark. Things almost kicked off. There was, uh, shall we say, an extended discussion towards the end of the first half. And there were nine minutes of stoppage time in the first half. There were various flashpoints throughout the game. Quite a few nasty tackles. I'm surprised no one got sent off during the actual match. And at every stoppage, the cameras cut to the Jang supporters who were all just giving everyone the finger. <laughs> Commentator thought it was quite funny, which I also enjoyed because it was a change from the, oh, no one likes to see that, which everyone likes to see. Mm. So this group, it very nicely poised. So Tuesday the 12th, we've got Melbourne versus Jang, and then at, uh, at 7 o'clock, I was at 6, at 7 o'clock, Buriram against Kofu. Any of the four teams could still go through. Um, what what, uh, what are your thoughts on the, on, on the Kofu game and on, on the, on the punch-up in the other game and on the Group H in general? Uh, yeah, there's a lot to unpack here, uh, James. I think we'd, <laughs> we'd better start with the, the game, the, the Kofu game against Melbourne, which was uh, uproariously entertaining in itself, mm. really, wasn't it? Finishing 3-3. And I think there was uh, 15,800. 77 mm. in, inside the stadium at, at Kokoritsu again uh, for that one. So that's a, a stonking effort, really, considering the circumstances. And I think that's that's all three home games completed now for Kofi and Gusevs. I think it'd have to go down as a roaring success. Yeah. Um, their, their kind of their time at Kokoritsu and their time in the ACL so far. I think on the one hand, it's it's sort of might feel like two points dropped by Kofi because it's a home game. But I think they, you know, obviously they were trailing and got an equaliser. Uh, late on so that in, in that sense it was perhaps they, they they rescued a point that they might not have had and as you've uh, you've outlined pretty well I think they they still got a great chance of going through to the knockout stage and I think if you'd said before before the first ball was kicked you'll you'll have a chance of qualification going into the final group game I think they would have taken that so um, so it's kind of mission mission not quite accomplished but mission accomplishable so I think I think everyone's going to be okay with that at the moment. Um, I thought they uh, thought they were in trouble um, when they went behind in the fifth minute in the game. A superb goal from a Callum Talbot, wasn't it? That kind of just mm-hmm. cutting inside and uh, just rifling the ball into the top corner. I um, yeah, the, the quality of goals in this game was was pretty high. I think um, Kofu got back into it quickly, didn't they? Uh, Sean Inoue heading in from about six yards, and then Jamie McLaren hit the outside of the post for Melbourne as they as they threatened again. Um, there's a good old defensive mix-up um, for Kofu to go in front of 2-1. Yoshiki Torikai kind of got in between the defender. It was it Curtis Good, I think, was the, the defender, and the goalkeeper, Jamie Young. He got in between them and clipped the ball over to make it 2-1. 
And then uh, we we um we don't want to talk about only about handball penalties on the pod, but I think the the equaliser for Melbourne at two two was another one of these very soft penalties that I don't really like. Basically, uh, someone fired the ball at uh, Sotamura from about a yard away and it hit his hand. Yeah, uh, and a penalty was given. So I think you know if if your argument, if the law says if the ball hits a defender's hand, it's a penalty. Okay, that's a penalty. But I'm not sure what Mura was supposed to like. You'd have to have the reaction time of a, a cobra, wouldn't you, to uh, mm-hmm. to stand any chance of not handling that ball? So he he was uh, yeah, none the wiser. But the ball hit his hand. The penalty was given, and tall guy Arslan scored for for two two. I really like the third goal. Marin uh, Yakolis is that Yakolis scored um, very very uh, fancy half volley, which seemed like it was going to give Melbourne all three points. And then, as you mentioned, Cristiano did did Cristiano things, didn't he? Sort of dug yeah. out across from this kind of impossible looking position, right on the touchline, wide yeah. on the right. And then the the uh, the two uh, Melbourne players who had sort of got things wrong earlier on, the goalkeeper and defender Curtis Good, they sort of weren't on the same wavelength again and uh, Jumma Miyazaki was able to nip in and head the ball and he doesn't score many headers, does he? It reminded mm-hmm. me of Kolki Morita scoring a header for Verdi in the, the playoffs uh, the, the other week uh, has been kind of um, unnatural, uh, not unnatural, uh, rare, un, un, unexpected mm-hmm. perhaps would be a better word. So yeah, you said Kofu top of the group and uh, what I've written, James, and we, we, you know, people, please write in if we're getting this wrong. As long as they match Melbourne's results in the final round, they'll go through as group winners, don't they? Because Melbourne host uh, Jejang mm. uh, and Kofu go away to Buriram, at Buriram, as you said. So as long as as Kofu do do better or the same as Melbourne, they'll they'll be the group winners and go through. They might even qualify uh, from second place if they end up finishing second. But that is a can of worms that we don't want to open. No. Um, so we, we'll we'll cross that bridge if and when uh, necessary. The only other thing to mention is I was reading today the kickoff time has been changed for the game is on it? Tuesday. Yeah, it's now going to kick off thirty minutes earlier. So I wonder if that's to synchronise the two games. I'm not sure, but I think it's going to be six thirty p.m. Japan time for that game away at Buriram mm. uh, next next midweek next Tuesday. Um, on the brawl in the uh, the Jejan game against Buriram, what I liked about this was it was resolutely not for the TikTok generation because it went on for like more than two minutes <laughs> at the final whistle. So you, you you wouldn't be able to get all of that in a 30 second, you know, YouTube shorts has got no chance of mm. uh, getting all the action there. And I also like the fact that it kind of ebbed and flowed and it seemed to calm down a couple of times before kicking off again. Uh, and I also noticed like there was like a few police just kind of watching on disinterestedly. And uh, it was only after about three minutes that they decided maybe we ought to do something, perhaps uh, help help to separate some of these players. So, yeah, good, good old-fashioned uh, handbags, James, I think we, we'd have to call it. Um, yeah. yeah. What, what, what's your gut feeling? Do you think, do you think Kofu are going through? I, I don't want to jinx it for anybody, but I feel looking at the table and what I've seen of these teams so far in the group stage, I think either in first place or was one of the best runners up I think Kofu are, are, are going to do it yeah I don't want to jinx them because we know the J, J talk jinx is a very real thing um, it would be a, it would be fantastic if they could um, and I hope they do but I don't want to say anything that might uh, jeopardise should that. Uh, I should point out that on, on Saturday at the playoff final, I, I texted, uh, I have a group chat with uh, Sean and uh, Stuart Smith and I texted uh, nil-nil uh, after about 60 minutes of Verdi getting the job done and then they immediately conceded a handball penalty and went behind. So I do have a form in this area. Mm. Have you, is, is that a, have you have you revealed that to anyone else? No, this is that's an exclusive for the pod, uh, James. Is it? Oh, I... <laughs> 
if you get too much uh, hate mail after this, I can always edit it and repost. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, ju- I'm just trying to help. I, 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 what I should really do is charge people to like jinx them. Like if you, you give me, you PayPal me or, or line pay yeah. me and I, I can say that something bad's going to happen and then the opposite will, will transpire. Well, Sean, Sean says whenever he writes about a team they doing well, they then go and do badly. And he wrote about teams doing badly and they start doing well. So I, I think he should start charging for that service, the reverse jinx or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then people could pay me to do the opposite, to cancel out Sean's reverse jinx. Sean and I can split the profits. Yeah. You know. Spend it all on J-League trading cards. It's, it's easy money, James. It's easy money. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of easy money... Um, should we talk about? I don't know. I don't know what what, what that link is. Let's uh, let's talk about some of the managerial news, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> okay, a seamless link. <laughs> um, I'm just going to give you a few names, and then you can choose who you want to talk about. Um, there are, okay. Uh, that we haven't talked about yet. We talked about managers a few weeks ago, I think. Um, there are three that I have noticed who've been. Um, uh, had their contracts renewed or extended or whatever as um, Akiba at Shimizu will be there next year Fabio Carrile at Nagasaki and Tatsuma Yoshida at Tokushima will all be continuing at those clubs for 2024 and then three new appointments although one is an old appointment uh, there's Ryo Shigaki has moved from FC Osaka in J3 to Renault for Yamaguchi uh, Makoto Tanaka is in at Tochigi and his head coach is Masaki Yanagishita. And uh, at Oita, Tomohiro Katanosaka is back. He was there previously from uh, when they were in J3 in 2016. He took them to J1, took them to the Emperor's Cup final in 2021. Um, and uh, he had a, a, a fairly unsuccessful year at Gamba last year. Now he's back. So, uh, John, any, anyone there that... Uh, jumps out as a particularly interesting or ridiculous appointment? Well, I think they're, they're all interesting, and I'm wary of uh, labelling anything as ridiculous this early this early in proceedings. <laughs> I think it's no, no surprise, really, to see Akiba continue at Shimizu, even though they, they failed objectively, didn't they, this season? They were very close to getting the job done, and I think they'll probably feel he's the best available option at yeah. the moment. Uh, likewise, with... Uh, the uh, Yoshida can continue at Tokushima. I think he he steadied a ship that was in serious danger of getting in, being in a relegation battle, mm. um, and and he's done enough to earn the chance to to coach the team again next year. I think um, at Oita, Katanosaka coming in is an interesting one because obviously he did well there and then got the move to Gamba, which didn't work out. Mm. Um, managers returning to a former club always a bit of a tricky one. Um, so I'm not really sure. I, I guess Oita must have had an eye on the playoffs this season, you know, yeah. based on how they finished and how they dispensed with uh, with the previous manager. So I'm very curious to see if he can get them into a top six top six slot uh, next season. I, I suspect not, but we, uh, you know, we'll we, we'll wait to see. Um, Touching is the interesting one because when I actually read, um, I tend to scroll through Twitter like half half paying attention uh james and i actually thought i initially read that they i thought they'd appointed yanagishta as manager hmm. um and then i was kind of thinking if you've just narrowly squeaked you know avoiding relegation yourselves do you then want to appoint a guy that has been relegated <laughs> <laughs> uh 
um, as a new manager. That 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 would seem to be to be foolish. Uh, having said that, Yanagishta I know is a good manager. I think he's, he's he's proven that down the years, even though it's not gone gone right over the last couple of years at Kanazawa. I don't know anything about the guy who is actually the manager. I don't know if you know much. All much I know is that um, I think. I, I, the, I, having a look at his CV, he played for Iwata, I think, when Yanagishta was coach and manager there. So I think that's their connection. Mm. So they I have think. a pre-existing relationship, yeah. yeah. I don't know anything else about him. Mm. I wonder if it's the case that they're going to let um, Tanaka have a go and then is it the sort of situation where by sort of golden week there's going to be a club statement and a picture of the corner flag and Yanagishta is going to be taken over to kind of sort things out as manager. I don't know. That, that, that seems a bit cynical even for me. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have to see. But um, yeah, I think Tochigi, they have tried to be a bit more progressive in the last few years. Haven't they? I think Yutoki Saki was quite a progressive appointment. Yeah. Um, even though they obviously decided it, 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 it wasn't going to continue. I, I thought that was actually quite a surprising departure um, in a way, so I was curious to see who they'd bring in to replace him. So I'd, I'll give I'll give, um, I'll give uh, Tanaka a chance. Um, Yanagishta is obviously going to be uh, he know he knows a bit about the wrong end of J two, so he'd be able to give some some advice. I think a lot depends on the player recruitment at Tochigi this winter, though. Yeah. Um, and uh, we'll have to see how how Tanaka how Tanaka does with that because that this is, seems like it's going to be his first time sort of being in the market as it were, mm-hmm. um, looking to add players to the squad. Um, uh, Yamaguchi, I think um, Ryo Shigaki is an interesting appointment. We should probably uh, reach out to Mike Mike Innes get his views because he obviously had a few games I think half a season or a bit longer at uh, Hachinohe. Uh, back in the day, but he's got a really interesting CV as well, hasn't he? Because he's uh, been a coach at various clubs in England as like assistant yeah. manager, and uh, yeah, done some work at Manchester United as a youth coach, I think, mm. or academy coach, and been a translator at Nagoya as well because he speaks English very well. Mm. Um, so I think that's an interesting. Again, I think that's Yamaguchi trying to be progressive. Yeah, um, he's a young, he's a young manager. He's only forty three. Um, it's a very sharp contrast with um, Juan Schneider. Mm. Um, so I'm curious to see. I get the sense with the Amaguchis that they're sort of they want to be progressive, but they don't really know how. Yeah, um, it's that a bit the, with having mm, um, Natsuka, right? That was the same kind of feeling. Exactly, exactly. That see, that seems like a long time ago now, doesn't it? But it's only about six months. <laughs> Um, yeah, they remind me a bit about like you know someone's dad who like the dad reads the Daily Mail, but the children read the Guardian. He's trying to get that like connect with them, mm. you know. So like he's got like pride flags and stuff, but he doesn't really know what they're for. Um, <laughs> I think that that's the kind of vibe I get with Yamaguchi. There, they're like we want to be progressive, but we're not entirely sure what that should look like in a in a Yamaguchi context. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I do think that this this guy Ryoshigaki, he's I, I would I would say he's relatively unknown. He's certainly known in J two circles, but he has an impressive CV. So mm-hmm. he, he's probably worth uh, it's probably worth giving him giving him a go. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how he gets on, um, and whether he can sort of use his contacts and connections to bring in any any players that, that will strengthen the team. Yamaguchi really ha- had a hard time scoring goals last year. Mm. Uh, which I think is a problem that we can perhaps extend to Tochigi as well. Mm. Um, so I think for both for both Tanaka at Tochigi uh, and Shigaki at Yamaguchi, that's going to have to be the main priority. They have to find a way of either squeezing more goals out of the players that they've got, or they have to unearth someone who's not going to break the bank because budgets are very tight, who, who can come in and, and score a lot of goals. So 
Um, I think even though these are two different different guys with probably different styles, they're going to have a similar problem of like how to just get enough goals out of the out of the players to to, to keep their keep their heads above water. I think. Yeah, completely agree with all of that. I think um, the guys who are who are continuing uh, are sensible appointments. I think they've all they've all earned a chance to have another go. Um, the the new guys. No idea how it's going to go because it's far too early in the winter. To um, most clubs haven't made any signings. They've they've just announced a load of departures. So yeah, we don't know. But um, over the coming months, things may become clearer. Um, yeah, I think that'll do, John. It's been uh, it's been good to chat to you about about the playoff final and 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 fights and. Uh, managers and stuff thanks very much yeah no problem no problem just we, we should mention that as we're recording i think the the zone has just finished broadcasting the the j2 awards show uh, and we we are going to do our own kind of uh slightly lower budget um sort of j2 team of the season chat next week is that is that right yeah okay the real quiz yeah never mind the zone yeah uh so tune in for the uh, more prestigious j league awards next week um, yeah, and uh, coming up next is Mike Innes. He's got all of the latest from J3, the final round of J3. That's up next in J Talk Short Corner. J Talk Extra Time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to J Talk Short Corner, the mini pod that keeps you up to date with events in J3 of the J League. I'm your host, Mike Innes, and in this episode, I'll be looking back on fixtures in round 38, the final round of the J3 season. All 10 games were on Saturday the 2nd, and the main focus of attention was the race for the second promotion spot. Kagoshima United realistically only needed a draw at Gainare Totori, Katare Toyama knew they had to win at home to YSCC Yokohama and hope Totori could do them a favour and beat Kagoshima. And so we'll start at Toyama, where a club record crowd for a J3 game of 6,453 were there to see if their favourites could get the victory that would give them a chance of a place in J2. Things did not start well for the men in dark blue, as in the 8th minute, YSCC keeper Jun Kodama kicked it long, Daiki Sato headed it on, and Koki Matsumura cut inside the napping Junya Imase and delivered a tidy finish from 20 yards. Katane provided little in the way of response until injury time at the end of the first half, but Shunta Takahashi made the chance count, finding space at the far post to head in Shosaku Yasumitsu's cross. One all at half-time, but that wasn't enough for Toyama. It was one-way traffic after the break, Takahashi coming close to what would have been a spectacular second with a flying volley tipped round the post by Kodama. And deep into stoppage time, Katare sub Yoshiki Takahashi curled in the corner. Ryuya Ohata hurled himself at the ball to win the header, earning himself a kick in the face from visiting defender Seiya Nikaido and winning his team a penalty. Under maximum pressure, Arthur Silva converted. Final score, 
Toyama 2 YSCC 1. YSCC under coach Kazuki Kuranuki ending the season in a very creditable 12th. But from Toyama, we go straight to the Axis Bird Stadium for Kagoshima's match at Totori. A very difficult fixture for the Smoking Volcanoes as Gainane have become one of the best teams in the division over the second half of the season and were themselves maintaining hopes of a fourth-placed finish. Kagoshima thought they'd got off to the perfect start, Noriaki Fujimoto finding the net after 90 seconds, only for Lei Yonezawa to be ruled offside. In the ninth minute, Hiraya Nodake hit the roof of the Totori net from the centre circle, with keeper Koshiro Itohara scrambling back towards his line. Itohara was forced into action again with a low save from Takumi Yamaguchi nine minutes before the break. And after half-time, the best chances remained with the away side. Yonezawa's shot parried by Itohara, Eisuke Watanabe firing the loose ball over the bar and into the crowd of travelling fans. And so it was from out of the blue that Kagoshima fell behind 11 minutes into the second half. Gainane's Makoto Fukoin making the most of contact in the box from Shuto Nakahara and firing the resulting penalty high into the net. Kagoshima trailed 1-0, sending a beacon of hope up the Japan Sea coast to Toyama. Yasumaki Oshima's Kagoshima side continued to attack, Shota Suzuki's header being tipped over the bar, and then, with 14 minutes to go, Shunsuke Yamamoto received the ball from Yonezawa, exchanged passes with Suzuki, and swept a right-footed shot beyond Itohara and inside the post. Final score, Totori 1, Kagoshima 1, Gainane finish 6th, but... Kagoshima hold on to second place on goal difference to take their place in J2 next year and so condemn Toyama to third and another season of J3 football. Championship already in the bag, Ehime FC rounded off 2023 with a late victory at FC Osaka. Yutaka Soneda volleyed the title winners in front on 15 minutes, a smart finish from Niki Matsuda's knockdown. Pushing for an equaliser, the home side missed a good chance when Louis Tone pulled a close-range shot wide of the target, but they drew level just after the half-hour. Tone this time hitting the post, Naoki Tanaka blasting the rebound past Ehime's debutant keeper Laihei Kurokawa. In the second half, Sonida had a one-on-one -on -one well saved by Osaka's Tatsunari Nagai and the mighty Mikans stole the win in injury time. Last week's super sub Shunsuke Kikuchi repeating the trick when he headed in across from Matsuda. Final score, Osaka 1, Ehime 2. Osaka finish their first ever J3 season in 11th and next year will be playing under a new coach, Ryo Shigaki, having already taken a job in J2 at Lenofa Yamaguchi. Ehime, 11 points clear of their nearest challengers, undisputed champions. J2 Extra Time 
elsewhere. The game of the day turned out to be at Azul Klano Numazu, where Masashi Nakayama's team took on FC Imabari. The first half was quiet enough, but Azul Klano opened the scoring in the 44th minute. Kortaro Tokunaga's high looping cross headed in at the far post by Yuya Tsukegi. The home side extended their lead 16 minutes from time. Tokunaga splitting the Imabari defence with a through pass. Noah Kenshin Brown running onto it and getting flattened by keeper John Anders Serantes. Brown got up to score the penalty for his 13th of the season. Numazu had come into this one on less than convincing form though and they allowed Imabari a way back into the match. Unable to deal with an extended goalmouth scramble and keeper Hiromu Musha let a Kazuya Ando volley squeeze in at the near post. And it was 2-2 just four minutes later. Marcus Vinicius sprinting down the Imabari right on the counter and crossing for Hikaru Arai to finish from close range. And the visitors completed the turnaround in the 83rd minute. Andor with the cross, Marcus's header parried by the goalkeeper, Wakaba Shimoguchi firing in the loose ball. Final score, Numazu 2, Imabari 3. A disappointing way to wrap up the year for Azul Claro, but a 13th placed finish is a positive outcome in the grand scheme of things. After a season of ups and downs for Imabari, concluding with three straight wins means they end up in fourth. And right behind Imabari in the final standings turn out to be Nana Club, winners in the last match of their first J-League season at Matsumoto Yamaga. The only goal of the game came just before half-time. Lin Morita playing a long diagonal pass which sliced open the left-hand side of the home defence, leaving Megumu Nishida to hit the byline and cross for Hayato Asakawa to head in his 16th of the season. Yamaga's best chance was 16 minutes from time when Asakawa was adjudged to have handled in the Nara penalty area but for the second week running J3 top scorer Ren Komatsu failed to score from a spot kick his shot striking the bar and bouncing to safety Komatsu perhaps unable to deal with the mind games of Nana keeper Shinji Okada Final score, Matsumoto nil, Nana won. Yamaga end the year down in ninth, although the club have already confirmed Masahiro Shimoda will stay on as coach for 2024. Nana are three points and four places above them in fifth. A successful season then for Julian Marin Basilo's Nana and also for Nobuhiro Ishizaki's Vanrane Hachinohe who achieved a best ever final placing following their home draw with SC Sagamihara. I'm glad I've got something positive to say here because it was a stinker of a game at the Pry Food Stadium. Yuya Jimeno's improvised lob for Vanrane, perhaps the nearest thing to a goal. A total of only seven shots recorded at both ends throughout the whole match. So we'll jump straight to a final score of Hachinohe nil, Sagamihara nil. Seventh position in the end for Van Rare, a real accomplishment for one of the division's smallest clubs. Sagamihara, after a traumatic first half of the season, were able to stabilise and concluded the year 
18th. Speaking of traumatic, Gidavants Kitakyushu were never outside the bottom two after early May, but they do at least finish 2023 knowing they can't get relegated, and they also finish it with their fourth away win of the season at FC Gifu. The home side, for whom Junya Tanaka and Yosuke Kashiwagi began their last matches before retirement, had the lion's share of possession, but rarely forced a save out of Sunflower's keeper Yuya Tanaka, while the visitors didn't have an attempt on goal worthy of the name until, that is, the 88th minute, when Takaya Inui swung in across from the left, Yuki Nakayama headed it back across goal, and Shun Hirayama powered in a header from under the crossbar. Final score, Gifu nil, Kitakyushu won, an eighth-placed finish for Gifu, who've already confirmed Yusaku Ueno will stay on as coach next season, while Giravance can only hope they're able to move upwards in 2024. There was also a late winner at Iwate Guruja Morioka, where the visitors were Kamatamare Senuki. The home side were in charge, although unable to make a breakthrough, but picked up a player advantage in the 62nd minute when Kamatamari central midfielder Shunji Takemura was shown a second yellow card for a clumsy foul on Miyu Sato. Guruja continued to press Kenneth Otabo volleying just wide with nine minutes left, and in the fifth minute of injury time, Koki Mizuno crossed into the Sanuki box, where Mamoru Kamisasanuki raced in to score unmarked at the far post. Final score, Iwate 1, Sanuki 0. For the Paper Cranes, a 10th placed finish, level on points with Gifu and Matsumoto. The Noodle Boys remain 16th. Bit more exciting at AC Nagano Parseiro, who ended their year with a home game against Tegevajano Miyazaki. Tegevajano have been the poorest performing team in the division across the second half of the season, but after Parseiro's Naoki Sander had had a goal chalked off for offside, they took a 27th minute lead. Harumi Minamino cutting inside Ryoji Fujimori and beating the unsighted Kim Minho with an angled drive, a tenth of the season for the teenager. Nagano drew level 11 minutes into the second half. Masaki Miyasaka's outswinging corner bundled in by Kohei Takahashi. Miyasaki followed that up with a free kick that visiting keeper Shunsuke Ueda somehow scooped over the bar in unorthodox fashion, but Ueda was beaten for the second time in the 66th minute, Hayate Sugi playing it into the Miyazaki box, Hiroki Yamamoto delivering a tidy finish with his left foot. Pasairo do, however, have the second worst defensive record in the division, so it was no particular surprise when they conceded an equaliser following a half clearance. Ryohei Yamazaki picking up possession and driving in a low shot from 20 yards. Now Kisanda missed a late chance to win it for the hosts. Final score Nagano 2, Miyazaki 2. Pasairo finish 14th, Tegevajano. 19th. And lastly, 
A trip to Fukushima United, where the visitors were FC Ryukyu. No goals, but plenty of excitement in this one. Koki Kiyotake hitting the bar with a free kick for Ryukyu in first half injury time. Homekeeper Kaito Yamamoto saving well from Takahiro Yanagi and Katsuya Nakano as the visitors pushed for an opener in the second period. At the other end, Ryuji Samakami had a glancing header that went just wide, and Ryukyu's young Korean keeper Jion Jiwan made a double save from Shoki Nagano and Hiroki Higuchi to keep the hosts out. Final score, Fukushima nil, Ryukyu nil. Fukushima end up 15th. Ryukyu four points and two places below them in 17th. So now to run through the final top and bottom of the league standings for J3 2023. The top six are Ehime with 73 points, Kagoshima and Toyama with 62, Imabari 59, Nara 57 and Totori 56. At the other end of the table, the bottom six are Fukushima with 47 points, Sanuki with 44, Ryukyu 43, Sagamihara 41, Miyazaki 39, and bottom of the table with 31, Kitakyushi. And so, it's pre-season favourites Kagoshima who gain promotion to J2 2024 alongside champions Ehime. Many congratulations to all concerned. Commiserations to Toyama, who miss out on goal difference and must do it all again in J3 next year, when, as previously mentioned, we look forward to welcoming Ehime and Kagoshima's replacements from J2, Omiya Aradija and Zweigen Kanazawa. There's no relegation out of the third tier this season. Kitakyushu, Miyazaki and the other strugglers are all safe. And neither are there any new teams coming into the league from the JFL. And that wraps up regular coverage of J3 for this season. Coming up soon from J Talk Short Corner, I'll be posting on Patreon my own J3 Best 11 of 2023. That will roughly coincide with the J-League's J3 Awards Ceremony on Friday the 8th. And there will be review episodes taking a look back on the campaign now finished. But... With all the week's business seen to then, that's it for this mini-pod. All that remains is for me to say, thanks for listening, enjoy your football, and see you next time. Bye for now.